welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Um, you know what? I'm a little bit down. I know. Because the 2012 donation drive is coming to an end. It's my favorite time of year, except yeah. for Comic-Con, of course. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and uh, now, if you're listening to this, if you are one of the uh, quick shot, I guess, uh, fast draw listeners okay, yeah, and, and are listening to this right when it came out, then you do have a few more hours. Yes. Um, so w- Sunday is the 16th. Mm-hmm. That's what day this will go up. I'm, I'm putting it up early for this purpose. Um, uh, earlier in the day. You have till midnight Pacific time. Right. Pacific. So if you're on the East Coast, you got till like 3 a.m. Yeah. yeah. So. But then again, this didn't go up until later in the day. I'm not following you. <laughs> you have the same amount of time from when you're listening to this to when it ends. Mm-hmm. Or from when I po- posted it to when it ends. Fair enough. Okay, so um, yeah. Uh, again, uh, uh, if you want to, if you do, if you are listening with a few hours left, go to the website. Either click on the donate tab or the donation drive 2012 button for um, uh, all the details. Of what you could win, uh, mm-hmm. as far as how you can win it again. Uh, any one-time donation of five dollars or more gets you in the running, or any subscription donation at all gets you in the running. And a, a one-time donation of a hundred dollars or more, or a sixteen-dollar a month subscription, um, gets, gets you, in, you in the room. It gets you in the room. Yes, that's exactly right. You uh, will be allowed to come and watch us record, but we're not. We're not egotists. We're not just saying that that is the prize. No, the real prize is that. You pick. You give us a, a sort of uh, short list of your favorite guests, and we will um, your desert island list of battleship pretension <laughs> guests. And we will try to get one uh, to be kind enough and brave enough to agree to come hang out with a total stranger who likes our podcast. Incidentally, if you are somebody who just listens to the show, like you see that it posts and you listen to it immediately, you you. I hate to borrow a line from Jimmy Pardo, but you fascinate me. Because we will sometime, I will sometimes get, like, a tweet at, like, I don't know, 1 a.m. Monday morning. The episode having gone up an hour, maybe two hours before. Right. And I get a tweet from someone in reference to the episode. And I'm, and I'm just like, really? <laughs> I mean, I do the show, and I'm not that excited that it goes up. Right. Well, I guess these people could be um, in Europe. That's where true. that would be, like, first thing in the morning. That is true, yes. Okay, fair enough. Do you know right. what I did last week? What's that? Or I did this week. For the first time in a long time, in years, I listened to last week's episode. Really? I didn't listen to all of it. I stopped with about 12 minutes left. I was like, I know how this ends. But, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I spot-checked the episodes before I put, uh, put them out, but that's mm-hmm. listening to maybe a total of, like, maximum, like, three and a half minutes, maybe, right. of an episode. But I, like, listened to last week's episode. And you know what I realized? What's that? I'm surprised anyone tweets me about anything because I'm surprised anything can hear anyone, anyone can hear what the fuck I'm saying. I really mumble. Yeah, you're kind of mumbly Joe a little bit uh, sometimes. Sometimes, I think especially it depends with on, last week I got like I get when I get worked up. 
Yeah, I, I get. I'm it. interested to see how this episode will go. Um, <laughs> but well, I am in kind of a low key mood right now. Yeah. Uh, well, luckily we have a guest who is a, just a ball of energy. You know, <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in a, in a second. But I also, seriously, I want yeah. to. I mean, I know if you go back and listen to those early episodes, if you donate ten dollars and want to get the uh, first forty, that's right. Uh, that's still that's an ongoing thing. Uh, and here's the thing. Actually, I, I changed it a little bit because oh, oh, during the donation drive, a ten dollar thing doesn't necessarily get you the. Uh, if it's a donation, then I just assume, oh, this is for the donation drive. So I've changed it. So if you go to the uh, Battleship Pretension store, then it'll, there'll be a little thing that says the first 40. You click on that, 10 bucks, boom. 10 buck donation. Yeah. Yeah, gets you the first 40 episode episodes. If you listen to that, I definitely speak better than I did then. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think I, ha- I thought I had the problem a little more licked than I actually do. I am still quite a mumbler. I'm still as uh, boisterous as I always was, <laughs> except I'm not saying like every other word. Huh. Um, yeah, now real quick, uh, you mentioned, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned this, uh, like listeners in uh, Europe and Australia, other countries, mm-hmm. and I wanted to just let, uh, if somebody's a little bit behind on episodes uh, that lives in Australia specifically, uh, I did want to say, uh, got it, Tim Tam, not specific to New Zealand. All right, got it. <laughs> Did you this is a weird. That is a weird point of pride for you people. I got it in from all directions. It was it was crazy. Like now, did I you? I, I, I had to listen. Did you claim that it was specifically? I, I did. I went back and listened to it, and I just and you know what? It's just that I had I had heard about it from people who had traveled to New Zealand, and then when mm-hmm. I went to New Zealand, I heard about it. So I'd never heard about it in, in reference to Australia, uh, and so I apologize uh, that I that I was so presumptuous. Uh, I'm sure to, I'm sure you're just like, ah, well, these yanks, you know, I think they know all about Tim Tam and that kind of thing. Well done. Um, I'm told that you can find it at cost plus. I, w- but under a different name yeah. and I find that, uh, did, you, go, did you go to cost plus? No, I don't actually know where there is one around here. Oh, I could tell you where two are. All right. There's one. Don't tell me now. I like Tim Tam a lot. I might skip out on the episode. <laughs> no, there's one at the the farmers market at the Grove. Okay, uh, connected to that. Oh yes, okay. And then there's one on uh, at uh, Santa Monica, and I want to say like Westwood. I think okay. if you're, as you, you know. Uh, so either way, I got to travel. Uh, quite, you know. There's got to be not 13 hours by plane, but still, you know. There's got to be one in the valley. Probably, yes. Um, what else do we have to get to? Anything? Should we just introduce our guest? Because I know you and he yes. want to talk about a bunch of bullshit. That's true. We do. So um, okay. So one thing that we want to try to do uh, more often, um, and we were on a good, we were on a roll for a while there, and then it's it's, it, but it's been a while. Um, we try to have our uh, battleship retention bloggers uh, on the site, or our writers. I'm sorry, we're trying to get away from from bloggers because uh, it has a connotation to it that we try to avoid. But um, a little bit behind the curtain there. Yeah, I mean, it's an unfortunate connotation. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, and so. Um, but yeah, we had Kyle on, we've had Scott on, we've had Matt on, uh, and I think that might be it so far, right? Uh, oh, West. Yeah. We had West on. We had West. Well. Um, yeah, we need to have we need to have Jack. Yeah, we and need Rita. to have Rita. Yeah. Um, is that all the locals? Is Sarah local? I never remember. No, Sarah is not. Okay. But yeah, I mean, Sarah, Aaron, any of the other people no. who write for us. If you're in town. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You if you're in town and you donate hundred dollars or more, <laughs> <laughs> you can absolutely. Be no, hold in on. The let room. me clarify for people who have hour, a few hours left in the thing. 
you are not guaranteed to be heard on the episode. Right. It might happen if the conversation goes that way. Yes. You're not guaranteed to not be on it. But, yes, coming to hang out with an... Uh, it does not guarantee that you get to... Right. We might, we might feel a little generous, and we'll probably take the temperature of the guest as well. <laughs> yeah, that, so. that's kind of why a lot of this is dependent on... Yeah. Uh, a lot of how this goes is dependent on how that guest feels. Yeah. Here's, here's really the... If you, if you pick Pat Healy as your guest, that's really the only way to guarantee that you will have a receptive guest. Because he was very... He's very excited about the idea. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, okay. But, yeah, so we do have another one of our writers, and... Well, we just named them all. Are there more? I mean, we named the good ones. <laughs> we named the ones that, you know, that I... Like, whenever... Like, for example, like, Kyle just wrote a, a, a review of The Master. And I was excited. Like, hey, Kyle wrote something. I'm going to put it on Facebook. When our guest today writes something, I actually, like... I put it back, like, three weeks ago. So I kind of bury it a little bit, <laughs> you know? Because in, I always think he's going to get better. He does not. Not unlike you with your mumbling... Uh, you yeah. know, I we give him time, we give him opportunity, and nothing. It there's just a, there's it gets a, worse. There's a cost plus in Glendale. Okay, okay, I'll keep that in mind. Thank you. So, all right, but no. Uh, after he's also a friend of mine, which is why I can say uh, why I can make fun of him like this. His name is Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hey, everybody. I'm the doing Josh well. Long. The Josh Long. Yeah. There's no other, unless you're on IMDb, and there's about five others. <laughs> uh, and up until like a year ago. There were ten, five of them being you. Somehow. Several of them were me, yeah. But I, I have fixed that, I think. Every, I, think. I, I have to check every now and then. Also, can I say, I'm really glad that I was on this episode, because now I know where the cost pluses are in L.A. I was, I was, are I you was making thinking, fun? Cost plus is awesome. I've, I've never been to one, so Tim maybe... Tam. Well, they've got no. Tim Tam, so they must be uh, different. Or whatever that other thing is. Maybe it's Tam Tim. You know what oh, I did? Um, this is about... Uh, over a year ago, it was for, uh, for Valentine's Day. Um... My one of my Valentine's Day presents to my girlfriend was to put together a picnic basket to stock it with the stuff that we want when we go on picnics and 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 not just buy one that's pre-made but like get the stuff that's specific to mm-hmm. how we go to picnics and like put a board game in there or whatever like that was one of the gifts and I got pretty much everything I needed at cost plus. That's wow. pretty exciting. Now, let me ask you this. When you say the word, the term picnic basket, do you find it virtually impossible to not say picnic basket? Because, no, because that's how I, I heard it in my mind. And uh, I don't uh, ever say it that way, but I think it that way. Right. Really? I don't, I don't think... Here's, here's, here's why. Because I am some sort of inhuman monster who has almost no sense of nostalgia. Okay. And it does not think about the things that I watched as a child almost ever mm-hmm. so it's not in, i haven't thought about you i mean i know that movie came out briefly mm-hmm. and there was the uh uh the, the internet went crazy over that poster that that looked a little suspect but before that movie i don't think i had thought about yogi bear i don't forever. feel i don't think i have a nostalgia for yogi bear but i feel like i remember it i, that, I guess that's my thing i don't I, like i don't I feel like but I use the term picnic basket that much. Well, that's, that's true. Well, you need to go on more picnics. Y- or picnics. Yeah. Yeah. You don't seem like the picnic type, but they're a blast. <laughs> Depending on where you go. You know what? Oh, okay. I know <laughs> I'm trying. I don't want to get on too much of a tangent because I know you guys have stuff you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. But being from Missouri, um, and I love California, mm-hmm. but... And it's not just California. It's like most places that aren't Missouri or, or Louisiana. Uh, the, the drinking laws are way too strict 
in places that aren't Missouri or Louisiana. Okay. I got uh, a cop made me dump out a bottle of wine at Elysian Park because I didn't know you're not allowed to bring wine to the park for a picnic. Where in, in, really? in, in Missouri, you could bring a cooler full of whatever the fuck you want to a public park, you know, or, or, or a state park or whatever. It's not. It's completely legal. And I grew up going to barbecues where my, uh, you know, parents and aunts and uncles and all their friends just it was just part of it, it you know that's, it, that's funny because i feel like the liquor laws are, are strict in different ways in different places because I, I went to college in tennessee and in tennessee as far as i know i i think you can drink in public people do at parks and places but you can't buy it on sundays or in grocery <laughs> stores and things like that so if you can get it you can do kind of whatever you want with it well the thing is um in missouri uh anheuser-busch is almost as old as the state and is kind of like the the drinking laws are lax in missouri almost specifically because of like a century ago anheuser-busch lobbying lobbying them to keep it yeah to keep them lax well there you go oh listeners i want you to remember back to last week (laughs) what happened i am fighting so hard to keep from just making general wise ass political statements now about uh, over legislation <laughs> and uh and I know that I sort of said one just now but well, I no, but nothing but specific I'm talking about uh, I'm ta- I'm talking about a, a more conservative approach or at least a more libertarian approach right in, in no Missouri. I know I'm, so I'm you're talking California about, I'm talking about the state of California <laughs> you know what it is it's a nanny state that's damn right <laughs> sick of this nanny state bullshit <laughs> you know uh let's see hang on Jerry Brown uh Ah, shoot. I can't remember that Dead Kennedy song. I am a California Uber Alice. That's the one. Um, oh. I, I, I'm a liberal, but I have a pretty strong libertarian streak with, with certain things. Yeah. Um, Liberal-tarian, if you mean. <laughs> is, that, is that a thing that people say? Sure. It, it is now. Be. Yeah. Uh, certainly with, uh, obviously, drinking and drugs, I think uh, there's too much. But also, like, we lived in Illinois, both you and I, mm-hmm. where there is no uh, helmet law for motorcyclists. Right. Uh, and you know what? Fine. That's fine with me. Absolutely. I don't care. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, there is a helmet law here. Uh, and again, I guess that's... That I do, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't actually affect me either way. Mm-hmm. But I don't think... Okay. Here we go. If every single... This is a libertarian point of view. A law by its nature takes away freedom. Mm-hmm. And therefore, a law is a sort of evil. So what you have to decide every time you're making a law is, is this less evil than the evil it's preventing? Uh, and to me... Um, when it comes to motorcyclists, I don't know. They're pretty evil. Like, they, like, uh, <laughs> but, mo- but, no, bikers. Motorcyclists? I think it's the same. I think, it, I think it's two very different things. But I, if they want to do that, that is their choice. They're, I agree. You, they're adults. They have to be... Uh, a certain age, I imagine, to ride a motorcycle. They're Absolutely. old enough to make the decision for themselves. Uh, Absolutely. Somebody is, an adult is making a choice. There's no reason that there should be a law about it, and we don't necessarily have to all pay for it. That's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> well, we're not paying for the, motor, uh, the helmet law. No, but we, uh, you know what? I'm sorry. Hang on. I've been specifically, I've been great yeah. with my politics. I, I think we, I, you I, tell me why. Oh, no. No, I'm not going to say anything because I want to steer this away from politics because that's <laughs> not what I want to talk about. Good call. I'm you know what? Only, I might talk about it later when we talk about our, our topic. Oh, oh, boy. I'm the only liberal in the podcast today. I know. And I imagine 
imagine most of our <coughs> listeners are liberal. Well, right? we know that because you know of that, that wonderful that survey. survey. That we, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna turn this whole episode into the Affordable Care Act. That's all we talk about. Absolutely. What do you think of that? What do you think of that, listeners? Oh my, no, thank you. Um, but yes, and so speaking of uh, of the things that we need to uh, to get to, um, a few not necessarily announcements, but uh, since Josh is here, there's a, a number of things that he needs to plug, and that I would also like to plug. So many things I want to tell all of you about. Oh, okay. Well, I don't like framing it like that. No, but, I think uh, that's the way. So, okay, my other podcast, more than one lesson, which for a long time was me by myself. Uh, oh, I, I, miss just, those, I miss those days. <laughs> you and me both. Uh, this is a terrible mistake. What I did <laughs> is I decided for some reason that I needed a co-host. And Hello. So I, so I brought on that person. It was me. Yeah, it was Josh. <sighs> and it's gone okay, I guess. And now I'm there everywhere keep, the podcast goes. You didn't keep a third uh, podcast nom- award nomination from happening. So. That's true. But I might keep a fourth from happening. I know. Never know. I know. But, uh, but yeah, and so... But you did go... You went the right direction. You, you got a, a, a host who is different from yourself in, in many ways. Okay. I feel like that's kind of... You and I have that thing. Like, we get along. The hell's that supposed different. to mean? You mean better? Is that what you mean? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, what I just displayed was... Uh, that's pretty was telling. The inside of my head, the weeks leading up to Josh first being on the show, <laughs> is just being like... Listeners are going to be like, oh, I like this new model. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and so more than one lesson, there's, uh, it's film criticism from a Christian point of view. Uh, for a we discerning ha- Christian. For, uh, that's right. Hang on. Movie talk for the discerning Christian. I've heard some people put it like that. Um, but the, uh, we have a new episode every two weeks, roughly. The most recent one is about John Lee Hancock. Yes, I almost said John Lee Hooker. John Lee Hancock's The Blind Side. Uh, which, uh, spoilers, we did not care for. But which which I accidentally called the bland side at one point, <laughs> much, to, much to my own amusement. Yeah, it's, it's about right. That's and a so, and slip. So we compared it to, uh, to Barbet Schroeder's Reversal of Fortune. What do they have in common? Not much, actually. Listen to the episode. Uh, and well, then no, Barbara Schroeder directed Murder by, Murder by Numbers, Sandra Bullock. which also stars Sandra Bullock. There you Absolutely, go. and she was nominated for that as well, but did not win. That's mostly what we That's talk not about. True. She was nominated for no. no. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then an episode, the episode that will be coming out a couple days after this, uh, we're trying something new. We're not discussing a newish movie. We're talking about an older film with no companion film. We will be discussing uh, A Man for All Seasons, a movie that I absolutely love. So you can tune into that. Josh, what would you say your favorite episode of More Than One Lesson has been? I think my favorite might be the Dark Knight one. I thought okay. that was a pretty good episode. I was very proud of that one, yes. Yeah, and, and people have liked that one, and it's a, it's a popular movie, so people have seen it and were able to listen to it. Yeah. Because every now and then we pick those ones that we like or are fun to talk about, but maybe yeah. nobody has seen. And you see a bit of a dip in the numbers there. <laughs> but uh, that, was a, that was a good one because I thought it was a very... It was very relevant because everybody's everybody had something to say about it, mm-hmm. and uh, I liked the stuff we were tying into it. Absolutely, I was very excited about about that episode. Um, okay, so you can find that at more than one lesson dot com, and then you can also find 
recently on sale, and we're gonna we're, we've got some plugs for for Josh here. Uh, recently on sale at morethanonelesson.com is his mockumentary, his award winning do, uh, mockumentary for the title. That's Josh. The one. Real quick, what's that about? Well, that's a that's a mockumentary about two rival ultimate frisbee teams in a small town and their uh, journey to the championship to vie for the title, as it were. Which let, let me tell you all a, a story here. Never call your movie for the title because there is not a harder movie name to Google search for. <laughs> Both for and the are taken out, and then you're searching for the word title as the title of the movie, which is extremely confusing. So if you search Frisbee movie, it might be easier to find than searching for the title. But I think, I think your next endeavor, which you're, te- which you're just going to call movie, mm-hmm. I think that'll turn out no, okay. No, that's going to go against the grain there, and that's right. going to work. Yeah, so I'm, that's just, I'm just steering into that skid. That's available at morethanonelesson.com for $10. Yes, it it's a very funny movie. I am in it. You so sure if are. you'd like to see me, hey, go ahead. It's right there. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> I expected you, more from that. You, you are in it? I, I am in the film, but I also wrote, sort of wrote and directed it. Okay. It's, all, uh, it's all improvised dialogue. Oh. So it's all a bunch of comedic actors kind of playing silly parts. It's a little, it's, it's Christopher Guesty. So if listeners yeah. enjoy Christopher okay. Guest, then you will enjoy yes. for the title. It's, it's very, it's almost Christopher Guesty to a fault. Eh, maybe. But if okay. you like that stuff, then hey, you're in for a treat. I was going to say, how come my friends who make movies never put me in them? But you know what? I am no good at improvising. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, yeah, there was... You remember that one project? Yes, and I was very bad at it. I disagree. I think you were very good. Yeah. My ex-girlfriend back in Chicago made a, a thing that was sort of a, like... Structured improv. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was insane. Two cameras and just a room full of people. And it was supposed to be a like a marketing meeting for a corporation. And what she didn't tell us is she had grabbed like four other people to play like terrorists mm-hmm. and they came and held us hostage yes oh. and so uh we didn't know or i guess i did because i had the inside scoop but nobody else <laughs> at the table knew that at some point during this marketing meeting we were all going to be taken hostage that, that would be interesting to watch because i feel like the way the way that actors are especially maybe not super experienced actors <laughs> there would be a brilliant moment there when everybody really is seriously frightened <laughs> at what's going on but then you see them go over the hill where they're like oh this is acting and suddenly it gets much worse it was a, um, it was a fun exercise because we got these envelopes with like our personal moti- goals and motivations and like for example uh, uh our roommate cole uh-huh. he was in it and uh, my character, the the CEO of the company, right. uh, just hates him, and so I'm just an <laughs> asshole to him all the time. Which was, it, by the way, it worked well. I, I, I was able to wear that well. But uh, now, David, do you remember the point of the business meeting? <laughs> the goal of this meeting for all of us was to, in fact, decide the best, <laughs> the best dinosaur. The best dinosaur. Yes, <laughs> we were so, we were sort of like. Like, you know, like, there's the just the, the beef council, yes. right? We were just, like, the dinosaur council. Yeah. I don't know what our product was, but we were just sort of, like, getting the word out about dinosaurs. Yeah, and I believe you were my PR guy, right? I know that because of a thing that almost made both of us laugh, where 
because I had to be really gruff and stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, you're PR, but you're POing me. <laughs> and then you and I both like started to started to laugh. But we held it together. That's Ooh. neither here nor there, and that's not available, which is unfortunate because I enjoyed it. And okay, And because that joke was really, was really good. <laughs> I was in character and quite good for much to my surprise. That's- I'm terrible at improv, but, but like when they give you a character like that, yeah. and you're, it's like you got to do this, this, this. I, I'm much better. Just got to connect the dots. Absolutely. Uh, we, you know what? I think we'll hold off on uh, the the last thing until the end. Is that no, all right? Fine. Okay. Let's. The let's last get... thing should be at the end. I would. Okay. All right. Um, let's just let's get into it, shall we? All this right. uh, Josh is here because he sort of came up with this topic, right? Uh, it came out of a, a conversation that we were having. Yes. Mm. Tyler doesn't want to let go of any of the uh, credit <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> um, so. Well, Josh, why don't you tell us what the topic is, if that's okay with Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> well, the topic... If I will I, hold my hand over my mouth. <laughs> if I understand it correctly, Tyler, we're talking about movies that we hate. Yes. Which is going to be interesting, because there's a lot of different ways you can interpret that, and a lot of ways that you can hate movies, and a lot of different uh, aspects of, of hate. Hate is a many-splendored I, I'm, thing. I'm glad you said that, because that is going to be the first thing I want to talk about, yeah. is defining what we mean by that. Yeah. Right. And, that's, and that, to me, because you and I were having that conversation, and just the idea of like what is he what does it mean to hate a movie and then i started having a sort of an introspe- an introspective moment think like sh- is it okay to hate a movie like is that well, this, is that I an okay thing or? i don't know i'm sure we've talked about this off mic we might have talked about it on the talked about it on the podcast before um you know you guys know film crit hulk yes uh, i do not he, he well he wrote a, a a sort of editorial i guess think piece uh, thing for badass digest like a year ago maybe about a story when he was a younger man and uh he um met quentin tarantino and got to talk to him about movies and a movie came up that's right yes i think it was like maybe anything else is that the woody allen movie uh (laughs) that people don't like i didn't see that one um and he said i hate it and i hated that and apparently quentin tarantino like lectured him on why you should never hate a movie because there's always something to learn from it Hmm. something like that yeah and I and I think the way I took that was uh, was not I, I sort of abandoned the idea of whether or not it's okay to hate a movie and what I took out of that was sort of the difference between the way filmmakers watch movies and the way that right. critics watch movies. Yes, that is uh, the conversation we had on the show. Yes, so mm-hmm. this is good because now we get to revisit that, but talk about the the thing that is actually the point of Film Crit Hulk's uh, story, uh, which is whether or not it's okay to hate a movie. Hmm. So let's define what we mean by hate. Okay. David, do you want to go first? No. Josh, do you want to go first? I can try. The thing is, for me, I feel like there's a lot of different ways that I define it, and there are different movies that I sort of, quote-unquote, hate for different reasons or in different ways. Okay. Um, because I think there are some movies that you can... I, there are movies that I hate the experience of watching it, but I might be able to recognize that there's something good in it or something interesting in it or something like that. Say... For instance, um, one of the ones that I had uh, on my list here is, and I, I tried to find more information about this movie because it's been a while since I've seen it, and I can't find out exactly when it was made, but I'm, unless I'm misremembering, it was a version of Faust that was made in, like, early silent era, like maybe 1910 or something like that. And I, I tried to look it up, and if you look up Faust on IMDb, there's about 50 yeah. versions of it. Yeah. And there's seriously 10 to 15 of them made between 1900 and 1926, which I think 1926 was the uh, Murnau. Fritz Murnau, or uh, 
not Fritz, FW Murnau one that is fantastic. What did it stand for? Friedrich? Friedrich um, Wilhelm. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. But anyway, um, this this version of Faust that I watched, I watched it because it was German. It was part of the sort of German expressionism. It was a, sort of a, a, a period of cinema I was watching for a while. And this this movie was like locked off camera, two guys coming in and out of a room. It was maybe an hour and 20 minutes long. And the score that had been connected to it clearly later obviously because it was a it was a silent film but it was like a descending chord on a on an organ just repeated over and over again it was the same thing for an hour and 20 minutes or something like that so it was nearly unbearable to watch and i hated watching it but um part of the reason i hated it was because of the score which wasn't the filmmaker's intent at all had nothing to do with the original film it's just now the way that it's been presented and it's interesting to watch as a historical for the historical perspective so i can get a lot out of it even though i would never want to watch that movie again so i don't know how that's that's usually not how i would define hating a movie but i know some people if you don't think too much if you're not introspective enough to think what do i mean when i said i hate yeah. this it could be that just the experience was very unpleasant well uh the way i was thinking about it um okay i'll take a, i'll take a page out of your guys's book meaning the bible okay and the idea that <laughs> it's if ours. you yeah. um the idea that even though i philosophically disagree with this idea but the idea that if you uh, i don't know the exact wording but if you hate someone you've already murdered them in your mind yeah. something, something like, like that. that yeah um uh, now that is one of the like major tenets of Christianity that I disagree with, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm murdering you in my mind right now. Because <laughs> <by the way. laughs> um, I think that that's uh, that's just unfair. I, I think that you should be persecuted uh, only according to your actions, and not your not your thoughts. Anyway, um, that's beside the point. So. Uh, I guess I was getting this idea of murder when I think about hate. And so I was like, movies that I actively wish didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, that I, I like, that a part of me wishes no one, not just me, but no one could see ever, ever again. <laughs> uh, and like, I, I, I'm being kind of like sort of exaggerated. But what I'm, what I'm talking about is, I guess, movies that maybe I thought were morally suspect or morally irresponsible you know and i certainly thought about um movies there are movies that i haven't seen such as um like uh i think it's uh, i mean the people who are out there who are into these kind of movies will probably correct me and i don't i don't judge them uh but is it cannibal holocaust that has things oh. like like peeling the shell off a live turtle like uh, that i think so yes that sort of thing uh oh. is uh, just so horrible to me yeah. um, that I wish it it didn't exist because that's torture and I know it's a it's a, it's a fine line obviously between that and um, the uh, but the slaughter of the cow in uh, Apocalypse Now but uh, that's a ritualistic thing that's done that way and mm-hmm. is um, while not you know peaceful and comfortable for the animal is not done for the purpose of torture mm-hmm. and that you know at least as the story goes that cow was going to be slaughtered that day or the next anyway mm-hmm. uh but then again I'm, I'm i keep feeling like i want to like head off people like uh <laughs> uh h- how 
can I in good conscience enjoy Stagecoach? Because mm. um, what they did to horses on that movie is uh, also, to think about it, just just, just breaks my heart. There's, For those who don't know, they had, uh, there's lots of, there's a big gunshot that's a very exciting, that's a fantastic sequence if you're not thinking about what's happening to the horses, but like horses are, are falling as they get shot or as the riders get shot or whatever, and um, one of the ways they would do that is essentially um, the horses, one of the horses' legs would be tied to a long, like, metal wire that at a certain point would just pull tight and then they would it would break their leg or you know they would fall and it would usually break their leg and they'd uh, i guess often end up being being I, I don't know put down put down yeah i guess it's the word um so how i don't know uh, as far as the question of how can i in good conscience enjoy that um that's tough uh, i think that sort of i have to take into context the time there uh, it's sort of like, uh, I guess, a birth of a nation type of thing, mm-hmm. where, um, uh, which I've not actually sat down and watched from beginning to end. I know maybe I should, but I've seen. Uh, have you actually watched? Yeah, the whole thing? I mean, I, I've seen, been it's, shown like scenes and stuff. It's. Uh, uh, I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, I, I almost feel like. At some point, film critics were like, all right, well, what's one big early epic movie that we can pick? And then that'll be the one that we all like. Because <laughs> there are other it's, – it's certainly epic in a scale, but I think there are other ones around the same time. I mean, Intolerance was later, but that was the same type of scale. So maybe the, the, the idea is that it's the first big one of that scale. Yeah, and it was uh, – if I'm remembering my film school training correctly, it was also the first – big movie to actually do the thing that your Faust movie didn't do, which is cut in on on the action, you know, to sort of not just present everything as if it's happening under a proscenium, but actually use uh, yeah, middle cutting, shots and close-ups. Yeah, cutting and, to close-ups within, a, within an existing scene. I think that, I think it had been done in, like, uh, shorter, shorter films, films before that, but this okay. is the first one that, re- like, it just, you know, it's, it's, it's not unlike... Uh, not unlike Citizen Kane to a certain extent. It's the culmination of all of the mm. filmmaking style of the time yeah. in this and, and in bringing all of that together in one big thing. Uh, it is held up as like this triumph and it is, but, and this is where, you know, unfortunately Citizen Kane is immensely more watchable than Birth of a Nation. <laughs> yeah. Um, for a number of reasons and not merely, not merely, not merely the racism. racism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but you get to yes, say that. these other things maybe have done it first, but um, Birth of a Nation was a very popular movie mm-hmm. and so um, yeah. it got it into the consciousness, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, what I'm saying is I guess maybe I can view Stagecoach the way I do Birth of a Nation, which is historically, uh, I understand that it's a well-made film and I can still allow myself to have those reservations about its content yeah now looking at my my list here of movies that i that i hate and and by the way i i even cringe a little bit when i say that like movies that i hate i'm like ah but i i feel the need to to qualify it uh although i tried to make sure that my list was something that for myself i don't need to qualify uh i do hate these movies um but as i look at them i realize that all of them have been released in the last 15 years Huh. Um, and so it makes me wonder. Do you think that? Do you think that when we think of like the movies that we hate, and we and they're from sixty years ago or something like that, do you think we just automatically just kind of almost as a knee jerk way? I'm not saying this is how you do it, but do you think 
as a knee-jerk reaction, we say, well, it was a different time. This thing that I hate, it was a different time. Yeah, I think there's, and I think to a certain extent that's correct to yeah. do that. Sometimes that's okay, because sometimes if, if it's just something like with Birth of a Nation that we don't understand the cultural context, really, and it's not, it was before a time when people really thought about filmmaking enough to know what, whether this will be enjoyable, like, uh, because it comes from that different time and different place, it, it's easy to not enjoy it, whereas, which doesn't mean that it's a bad movie, but I think that you, there are still ones from 50 or 60 years ago that I, I think you can confidently say that is, that's just an awful movie. <laughs> Oh, um, absolutely, things, but uh, um, yeah. Sorry, dude. just uh, but there there is a difference. Like there are plenty of bad yeah. movies that I don't hate, uh, but there are some movies that might even be considered good to a certain extent. But I hate them for a certain reason, and it might be because, first off, just in the last fifteen years, I have become more of a, I became a movie person uh-huh. who maybe looked started thinking a little bit more in depth about what a filmmaker is trying to accomplish and nine times out of ten that's what does it for me is what they're trying to accomplish and how they do it and if those don't match up and if they don't match up in a very conscious way that usually infuriates me and then that uh, that fury leads to to hate Uh, and so um, and I wonder if perhaps you know I mean, we have more access now to what a filmmaker is trying to do by virtue of interviews and commentaries and stuff like that than we ever have. And so you go back and look at uh, a movie like, what's a movie that people hate? The Green Berets. Though we can probably tell what they're trying to do with that, which makes sense, like the only pro-Vietnam movie (laughs) ever made. But, um, but so we can kind of surmise that a little bit, but like, I don't know what, I don't know what was behind that. It might've been to... It might have been a noble intention. I don't know, but it's. Uh, but these days, with almost all of these, I can I can trace it back to a political, like a political issue of the time in which I live, and and when I see how it is choosing to explore that, it's not always political, but you know what I mean. When I see how it's choosing to explore that, I have a lot more skin in the game that might mm-hmm. inform my opinion of the film. Um, I don't know that saying, but I like it. Skin uh, in the game. That's a thing, right? Yeah. Okay. I like it. I wasn't saying that you shouldn't say it. I was doing the opposite of that. I was saying that I liked it. I appreciate that. You still got defense. No, no, no. Jen has heard... I've said a lot of turns of phrase that Jen has not heard of, which Mm -hmm. leads me to immediately be like, maybe I just made that up. (laughs) Can I tell you No skin off my nose, and then get in the game. Skin in the game? I think I've heard it elsewhere, but maybe I'm combining two things. Um... Can I tell you something? This happened months ago, but it was actually at a press screen, or I was there for a press screening, so it's, I guess, related. Uh, in the bathroom at the uh, Landmark uh, movie theater on, on Pico, mm-hmm. um, uh, there was, like, a teenage kid. Um, I was walking in. There was a teenage kid walking, washing his hands right there at the, at the, at the whatever. Sink. Sink. Uh, <laughs> and there was another kid coming in behind me, and... The kids, uh, I guess, apparently were friends. And the one washing his hands, technically what he said, I'm going to say the words that he said, he said, fancy seeing you here. Which is a funny thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, fancy <laughs> seeing you. But you could tell from his inflection, he didn't know what he was saying. Because what he said was, fancy seeing you here. As in, like, 
It, it was fancy to see <laughs> yes, you. Yes, and not like in the term, not using fancy in the old-fashioned term of like imagine that, like yeah. fantasy, fancy, like imagine your mind seeing you here. Yeah. No, he was literally saying it's fancy to see you here, <laughs> which is not what that saying means yeah. at all. And it it, it cracked me up. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, back to the topic at hand, because what I want to talk about is. Um, there, 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 are, there are movies that I do hate that we'll get to, and yes, uh, I have found that a lot of those are slightly more recent. Um, and then there are movies that I hate things about because I feel like there's sort of it's not just like a black and white like yeah it, it sort of slides into it, and um, I, certainly the um, the misogyny in um, some of Robert Altman's films like uh, Nashville and Mash mm-hmm. definitely. Um, I would say I, I would say I hate those parts of those movies. Um, also, <clears throat> we talked when I think when Will Anderson was on, we were talking about Crocodile Dundee, mm-hmm. and there's the part where the uh, the 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 transvestite woman is just like shamed and mocked, and mm-hmm. it's supposed to be funny, like we're supposed to laugh at her, and I hate that. Mm-hmm. But I don't hate Crocodile Dundee, the movie. And we and you did talk about that, and oddly enough, I'm willing to put that down as the as even though it was more recent, like a function of its time, like people still were not at a point where they were comfortable with that, I or it, it was still viewed as kind of amusing. Um, yeah, like uh, one thing that that gets me, and yeah, there there are a lot of elements about a specific movie that that I will hate um, without yeah. hating the movie in general. Um, but yeah, uh, one thing that gets me is is how is the idea of, and I'm sorry, I don't know, I, I don't know the the preferred term, little people, dwarves, I think, I think it's little midgets, yeah. midgets is out, right? Yes, I'm sorry, <laughs> I think it's been out, like as long as we've known the word. But that's the thing, it's been out, but it's still used very casually by people who are not saying it in a mocking way. So I don't know if it's no, so it little is, people I guess is, it is an odd thing because I think most people who use the term it's not like maybe it's the only it's term like they the, it's not like the n-word in yeah it's not it's not a derogatory term in its nature in its, it's in, just in its intent right but it is the it is not the preferred term and right it's, it's sort of like the uh the the helmet laws hey it's no skin off my back if they want to uh <laughs> no if, skin if, off my game yeah and if, <laughs> if they don't want to wear helmets what does it matter to me and so it it Cost me literally nothing to not say midget, so I stopped saying it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And so, no, for me, it's just that I don't, I, I never met. So, like, little person sounded somehow condescending well, see, to me. Yeah, that, that's a hard one to get used to for a lot of people, I think. And I think maybe is why people still use the word midget, because little person almost sounds like it's derogatory. Yeah. When right, it's, it sounds it's, condescending, yeah. Right. Well, I, I guess it's not. Uh, well, that's what that's I, what I, I don't know with. why we're there. Yeah. <laughs> but well, is that, is that uh, there are still movies and TV shows that treat the very existence mm-hmm. of little people as a joke. Oh, yeah. And that, it's, that astounds me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just, it's like, I w- we're beyond that, right? Like, I was trying to think recently, because I was watching The Station Agent not too long ago, yeah. and I was trying to think of a movie where there's a little person in it, and it, he, he or she has not been cast simply because they are a little person. Like, mm-hmm. I could not think of a movie where someone just happens to be a little person and no one either makes a point of talking about it or... Well, that would be unrealistic, though. It, it, it might be, but, like, in your real life, if you know someone who's a little person, you're not, like, 
you don't know them because they're a little person. Like right, they don't come in your life because probably, of that. They probably, uh, any, I'm, I'm sure any little person in the world interacts with people on a daily basis who are first and foremost preoccupied with the fact that they're a little person. There's so a great I, I episode about, of 30 Rock about that featuring Peter Dinklage, mm-hmm. but I've got one for you. All right. Find Me Guilty, directed by Sidney Lumet. Peter Dinklage is in it. He plays uh, uh, Vin Diesel's lawyer. And aside from the fact that when he addresses the jury, somebody sets up like a not a, not literally a crate. They don't have crates sitting around a courtroom, but like an apple box, a, an apple box, a half <laughs> apple. Um, like somebody just like sets that down. He stands up on it, addresses the jury. That them setting that there and him standing on it is the only reference the hmm. film makes to it. No character makes reference to it. Yeah. Um, now I know. Uh, uh, obviously, there are uh, far far more little people actors than just Peter Dinklage. But it is unfortunate. Have yes. you seen you guys seen Living in Oblivion in his I speech have, yes. in that? Do you know what I'm talking? Yes. Yeah. Well, in the dream. Yeah. He's yeah. Um, been hired uh, to play uh, a dwarf in a dream sequence, and he has this tirade about how he keeps getting hired to appear in dream sequences and he says like i don't remember the exact line but it's like who dreams about dwarfs i'm a dwarf and i don't dream about dwarfs <laughs> um but yeah and so like that's an, that's an example of what you're talking about just the fact that it still is going on when, and frankly like i we keep bringing up peter dinklage and that's that's unfortunate there are there are more than than him but i think he's starting with the station agent and then moving into other you know Game of Thrones, certainly. Yeah, I think now you recognize, like, oh yeah, they can be, they can be great. Like Peter Dinklage is a great actor. He's not mm-hmm. a great dwarf actor. He's a great actor. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think, I think now, I think mentality is is changing. But you'll still find some people who are just like, <laughs> check this out. This guy's <laughs> like us, but a smaller version right. and thus funnier. Yeah, that's pretty uh, despicable. Yeah, because so. it's not I'm much different than. Okay. Well, it's not much different than like 50 years ago where it was like, well, we can't put any Asian people in movies like what, you know, unless it's a movie about Japan. Mr. Or, Rooney. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so they would or, or like uh, uh, West Side Story. They It's like, it, well, those, those are even a different level because it's like they have Asians or Puerto Ricans in them, but they cast other people. They cast white people and paint them up or, or put horrible right, like teeth the in them or something. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like um, Charlton Heston in Touch of Evil, obviously. Yeah. Being, yeah. Right? Um, he, he was Asian in that, right? Yeah. He's supposed to be Asian. Yeah. Might as well be. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so I'm looking, so I'm looking at my, uh, my list here, and yes, I've, I've added a couple more uh, since we started talking, and sure enough, those from, have been in the last 10 years. Um, and I don't necessarily want to bring up all of these, but uh, some of them I hate for there's like an overlap as far as why, and then some is for a, a very different reason. Like, for example. Well, I was going to say first, okay, maybe, yeah. if, if most of yours are, are things that are recent, I have one that I thought of particularly that is older okay. that I'd like to talk about. Okay. You're, you're smiling like you think you know what it is, and it's probably not that, actually, because there is one that I complain about often, which, which I didn't put on this list, which is Tom Jones. Is that the one you're yes, thinking that's of? The yes, that's I assume. I... I it's been. I decided it's been too long since I've seen that movie for me to seriously say that I hate it. But okay. having seen every movie that's won Best Picture, I'm that I believe is my least favorite and what I feel is the least deserving Best Picture winner. Uh, now again, I haven't seen it in quite some time, and I kind of would like to see it again just because of that. Be, 
because I, I also do very much hate another one, which I will certainly bring up later because I want to talk about it. But Another Best Picture winner? Yes. Oh. Um, you you might know what it is. Okay, but anyway, um, the old Kramer one versus Kramer. <laughs> I just hate those Kramers. Wait, I want to guess well, what is it? What is what year is this one from? This one you're about to say. Uh, I don't know if you. Oh, what what era? What, well, about what year? I'll say it's the '60s, and it's not from the United States. Oh, I don't know if I know what it is then. Hmm. So, and here's this. I think feel like it's interesting because it kind of goes against two of the things that you were saying because I think there are movies that people don't like because they're older and you don't understand the context or because it's from another culture and you don't like or understand the context. Um, I don't want to merely say that it's just about understanding because it's not always that. Sometimes you just don't don't connect with another culture. Like that's why a lot of foreign comedies don't do as well here because comedy is a lot of it. Cultural. And only Americans are funny. It, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, no, that's not true. <laughs> Only English speakers are fun. There you go. All right. I forgot about Benny Hill. (laughs) Anyway. uh, You know, Will Anderson. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Tim Tam. (laughs) Anyway, the the film that I'm I'm thinking of is a Japanese film called Branded to Kill. Ah, yes. Now. Yeah, you and I watched that together. Yes. And that is one of very few movies that during watching it, I thought, I don't know if I can take this anymore. I might have to just stop watching this film. Now, I feel somewhat vindicated in that because the story behind it is that the filmmaker, whose whose name escapes me at the moment... uh, Is it Seijin Suzuki? It might be. I feel like it is, but I haven't seen that. And I've seen some of his films, but I haven't seen that one. He he is a filmmaker who apparently made a lot of... of, uh, Japanese like Yakuza films so they'd be sort of gangster mm-hmm. gangster movies and he was on contract with a company that uh, he didn't like being on contract with and he didn't really want to make any more movies with them and they wanted him to make another one and he had to because he was on contract so he made a terrible movie and just he cut it in ways that doesn't make sense the, the like the plot is disjointed and ridiculous and it's not because of any kind of artistic reason it's just because he himself didn't even like the movie um so while i feel like the only i guess it's in the criterion collection because that's kind of an oddity for there to be a movie by who a filmmaker who's good in his own right otherwise but just had a disdain for the movie and chose to make it poorly but because of that it's it, it was nearly unbearable for me to watch so that's one that I think I say that I hate. And also there is the lead actor who made a choice that is, you know what, this is not the movie's fault, but it makes the movie almost unwatchable for me. And I know that this might be petty on my part. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? A, the lead actor, whose name escapes me, uh, got cheek implants because his, uh, yes. uh, his face was too thin. And uh, he was not going to get, he was never going to be a leading man with a thin face like that. So he got cheek implants that makes him look like a chipmunk. And he looks horrible. And I hated watching every frame. <laughs> now, I recognize that's not the film's fault. It is somebody's fault. Yeah. And I, I can hate it all and day long. And, and it's in the film. So yeah. it's something to hate. Well, I'm not getting any connection here. Okay, so, so. um,. You mean like with the two of us? Yeah. Um, I was no, trying met. to make sure I get, got the director's name right. Because if I didn't, guess what? I'm going to go back and edit this episode. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, uh, I guess let's get into some newer stuff. Because okay. I, I want to talk about, you know, I talked about things like uh, elements that I morally disagree with. I was right. Seijo Suzuki. All right. Um, uh 
but sometimes a movie just its main, I guess, its structure is something I morally disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and a movie, a very recent movie that I don't know why I'm even bothering to talk about because very few people saw it. Uh, but last year, Gus Van Sant released a movie called Restless with, um, I don't remember who the uh, lead male was, but uh, uh, but um, Mia Vashikovska was the lead okay. female. And I'm a big fan of Oh, that's of okay, that's right. Yeah, it, it like came and went. Gus yeah. Van Sant's an odd director in that he can make a movie almost totally covertly. He's like a... <laughs> A director ninja. He just gets in, makes a movie. He doesn't want anyone to see with it. Absolutely really. no fanfare, not even a little bit. But this movie is apparently bad. I've heard from you just now. It's not only <laughs> no. Well, you read my review. Yes. Um, it's not only that it's a bad movie, which it is, but it's also that it's um, its treatment of the topic of death, which is a big. Uh, it has. It has the. He's sort of like. Uh, it's like I'm getting annoyed even talking about it but the main character is kind of like Harold from Harold and Maude and that he likes to attend funerals of strangers for fun is it so uh, already I'm annoyed Henry Hopper is the actor maybe yeah Enoch Bray is the character oh yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah and his best friend is an imaginary friend who is Ugh. hold on okay imaginary friend who is the ghost of a um kamikaze pilot from World War II yeah <laughs> I wish the podcast audience could see the faces both of you just made. Because <laughs> um, uh, they are right. It is <laughs> such a ridiculously just there's, affected movie. There's creativity and then there's that. <laughs> but the idea is that it's... Uh, so he, like, obviously, he's his best friend is someone who uh, intentionally died. Uh, it's all in his mind, but obviously. Uh, he goes to funerals and then he befriends uh, a girl his age who is terminally ill and dying played by Mia Vashikovska. Mm. Um, hmm. And so death is, I guess, the subject of the movie. Uh, but the way it treats death is so disrespectful to me, where it seems like it's this um, like this uh, fun makeup that it puts on to like act sad, and it's, and it's, it's self-indulgent, and it's just... Uh, uh, it's it's all so so surfacey and so uh, too precious maybe it, yeah uh, that that it, it's it's like so it's almost as though the film is doing exactly what the main character is doing and I don't say that as though it were this uh, deep profound thing but it's almost like it's he's going to funerals but not mourning anybody he's surrounding mm-hmm. himself with the concept of death maybe because he thinks he's exploring it but somehow by through not grieving like the other people at the funeral it's only going to go so deep he's Mm -hmm. trivializing it yeah yeah yes by by slumming a little bit one could say yes that's a that's a yeah you guys didn't even see the movie and you're putting it better than i could (laughs) um yeah i really hated that movie for for those reasons Hmm. okay um all right yeah i've got i'm trying to think because like I don't want to talk about everything on this on on my list here. Uh, yeah, I'll try to keep to. Uh, okay, there's a movie that I hate. I hate, and it is the life of David Gale. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a movie that you know. That's the thing. There are some movies that I've hated that like like Restless people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Or, I haven't seen the life of David Gale. Okay, and it's and Neither that one had, had that had like 
you know Kevin Spacey and Kate Winslet. So it had it was a bit higher profile certainly at the time. Did I not mention? But nobody remembers. Did it. I not mention that Mia Veshikovska is in Restless? Right. Yes. Absolutely. That's the girl from Alice in Wonderland, right? Hang on, let me write something down. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. She's also in a bunch of stuff where she's really good. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, such as in Treatment, mm-hmm. Jane Eyre. Um, I'd like her very much in Jane Eyre, actually. Uh, yeah, she was great in that. She's she does the best she can in Lawless. It's not a good movie. But. Okay. Um, but yeah, and so uh, Life of David Gale. That's you know this this goes to what I was talking about. Is it's the quote unquote exploration of the issue of uh, of the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this: capital punishment. Capital punishment. Yes. Um, <laughs> why'd you say it like that? For fun, <laughs> so like like somebody saying capital idea. Um, <laughs> let me put on my top hat. Capital punishment. It's because it's <laughs> the <laughs> best kind of punishment. Yes. <laughs> somebody stands before a firing squad, and then the, they all shoot him, and there's like, oh, capital punishment. Mm. Oh, thank you. And so, so it is, it decides it wants to explore that. And here's the beautiful thing about bad issue driven films. It doesn't matter what side of the issue you're on, you're probably going to hate it. <laughs> and Life of David Gale, whether you're pro-death penalty, anti-death penalty, you're going to feel insulted no matter what. And it's bad before the twist comes along. Uh, the twist, which, by the way, negates everything, it negates the entire stand the movie is making. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it's so, uh, but, and I don't know why they threw it in except to have like, oh shit, a twist. All right, don't think too hard about everything you saw just before this. <laughs> but it's one of those things where, and I'll explain what the twist is because fuck this movie. Is it? I'm guessing it's the David Gale's already dead. That's what it is. So yes. they can't execute him right. even if they wanted to. Right. And then their faces melt off. Right. So it combines Sixth Sense and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Here's what it is. So uh, David Gale is this uh, professor played by Kevin Spacey who... Uh, it goes to like anti-capital punishment rallies and that sort of thing. It's it's his cause, and then uh, a f- like a friend of his played by Laura Linney, another uh, right. another mm-hmm. uh, star. Clear, you are about to spoil this movie. I'm, just I'm about to spoil the life of David Gale for the listener. Yes, does that bother you? The life of David Gale. Does it bother me that you're spoiling it? Right. No. Just okay. That, I just want to make yes. it clear. Spoilers for the life of David Gale. <laughs> oh, I didn't even like saying that, but uh, so. Uh, then his friend, uh, another activist played by Laura Linney, uh, she, let's see, what is it? She dies, but I think it's also, oh, that's right. She dies and it looks as though he killed her. And so he gets put on death row and he's innocent. He's innocent, everybody. And this is the point he's making that innocent people can be put to death, you know, um, and now here it is, it's happening to him. And it was probably a, a conspiracy to put him on the, you know, to, to shut him up by killing him. All right. So, but in the last five minutes, it is revealed that, uh, well, actually, I think it's revealed earlier than that, that Laura Lenny had, in fact, killed herself. And uh, then in the last five minutes, a bit of footage is, taken, is shown that Kevin Spacey actually helped her kill herself. Mm-hmm. Because this is the point he wanted to make. And she was in on it. She was, uh, yeah, she's in on it. He's in on it. And so it's one of those things like, well, if she killed herself, he shouldn't be held responsible for her murder. And then the very last, I'm pretty sure it's the very last image that he was there helping to orchestrate her to die. Now, of course, I mean, you know, you could get into a discussion about assisted suicide. But, but still, nonetheless, he was there when she died. And 
his whole thing is like, well, he's not innocent in the sense that he is purely innocent, not in the room. Yeah. And that's the point that the film is making. The point is that he is the, making the innocent, the specific innocence that he was proclaiming is a lie, is a total lie. Hmm. And, and so like, and he's putting it out there as like, this is just an example of, of, th- of this thing that happens all the time. It's like, well, you've lied now. Th- this, this neat twist has completely undone everything that we've tried to do. And it's just, by the way, just a bad movie in general. And it's one of those weird things. Uh, Kevin Spacey has a young son in the movie. Uh-huh. And I think Kevin Spacey's a good actor, but he cannot relate to children at all. <laughs> and like, it's just like, this man has not spent two minutes with a child. And yet I'm supposed to believe that this, he spent six years with this kid. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things like it, it had a cause, the movie, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then it also wanted to be a certain type of movie and failed to recognize, like, this is something that should have been realized in the script stages and then the directing stages and then the editing stages. And it never was. And it was released as if it's this big statement, this big thing like, oh, are you ready to have your mind blown about capital punishment? Here's this not merely mediocre film, but one that collapses in on itself. <laughs> and it's just, oh, so terrible. It sounds like fun. <laughs> it is kind of fun. I watched it with friend of the show, Jason Egan, and we made, uh, made a lot of fun of it. That, um, I'm pretty confident about my, my opinion of, of Restless. Uh, there's a movie that I've hated for years that enough people have told me is good mm-hmm. that I've started to think maybe I need to give another chance. Okay. And that's uh, uh, Fat Girl, directed by Catherine mm. Brilla. I don't know how you say her oh, name. Oh, yeah. Brilla. Do you know how to say her name? No, I don't. Um, Brillo is what I'm going to go with. <laughs> Brillo. Uh, who, by the way, she also made an awful film called Sexist Comedy, but then um, the most recent film of hers I saw was um, The Sleeping Beauty. Not Sleeping Beauty with Emily Browning, which looks ridiculous, but The Sleeping Beauty, which is a actual retelling of the story of Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, that's amazing. It's a really great film. Hmm. Um but I've all, I've hated Fat Girl because I felt like the point that I took away from it is that the director is saying that young girls are uh, stupid and gullible, and all the ways in which they are taken advantage of sexually is their own fault. That's that's like really? the way I felt about it when I watched it, mm-hmm. but. I'm please don't email me because I know I, I need to rewatch it. I actually my girlfriend you know we combined our DVD collections when we when I moved in uh-huh. and she already owned it so uh I have it at home. It's right there. DVD. Uh you I should sh- rewatch it between now and the next episode. I don't have that kind of time. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Um and the next okay, episode so Chicago. The whole topic can be Fat Girl. Yeah. So have, you seen, have you seen Fat I, Girl? I have not actually. I don't think I've seen any of her films. Uh, not the fat girl, but Catherine Brillo. Uh, <laughs> okay, Josh, what do you got for us here? Well, uh, you talking about the one uh, about uh, that movie, David Gale, that's oh, the yes. one. Uh, the way that that film's executed and that it's bad reminded me of actually the first movie that came to my mind when we, when we were having the conversation earlier. And you mm-hmm. said, what's a movie that you hate? And nearly without thinking about it, I said, Arlington Road. <laughs> 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 which is a film that uh, yeah, that was really fast it was, not, and not a lot of people remember that film uh, it's uh, I feel like it's a perfect storm of frustrating because it's 
It's got some good actors in it. Uh, Tim Robbins is in it. He's I, I mostly like Tim Robbins. Um, I, I don't know. It's something about the way that... First of all, it's just kind of forgettable. Um, which is why you, you don't remember it. But uh, also, it, it's trying to make a point and never really makes that point. Um, it's it's almost as if it's trying to make a f- make the point that you shouldn't suspect that other people are are dangerous just because of the way things look on the surface. Um, because uh, do, do either of you know the plot very much? I guess I can yes. kind of summarize it. Here's what I know about Arlington Road. I worked at a video store at the time that sort of it was tra- like DVD was mm-hmm. taking over for the longest time. The alphabetically. The first like non new release <laughs> DVD that we had was Arlington Road, so it yeah. would always be right there on the end of the shelf. Yeah, well, it's the the basic story Don't you hate is that, David. <laughs> I do. Oh. Um, it's been a while since I, I think I remember which one is which, but I believe Jeff Bridges thinks that his neighbor Tim Robbins is a terrorist. Yes, and he keeps suspecting it all along. And the movie, the movie, the rest of the movie is setting it up like. Jeff Bridges thinks that this guy is a terrorist and he's going to overreact and do something wrong because he, he just thinks this guy's a terrorist because of some suspicious things. Which would have been an interesting movie, by right. the way. Right. That's not what happens. Tim Robbins just is a terrorist at the end and I think blows up something that kills everybody or a bunch well, of people. And it went, and it, we probably should have given a spoiler for oh, that. Yeah, spoiler. Uh, and they, and they, they have a little twist where uh, it looks as though Jeff Bridges is the one that did it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's... It, but the the spirit of the movie seems like it's all it wants to do is trick its viewers. Mm-hmm. And I actually watched some of the commentary on the film because I was so up, upset with it. And that kind of was the filmmaker's attitude, almost as if, like, well, I want to bust your expectations, man, or something like that. And I, I was like, I'm, I'm not interested in just being fooled into something like that. That reminds me of a movie that I don't know. By my, by my definition, I don't know. I, I can actually say I hate this movie. Uh but uh, Matchstick Men is one oh. that the twist at the end. You is, bring it up enough that I feel like you can you can say you hate <laughs> it. I, I have a lot of ire toward this movie because the twist um, at the end. I don't know. Should I spoil Matchstick Men at least? Sure. I'll give a warning. Um, you can re-spoil it for me because I've seen it, but I forget how it ends. Well, he's okay. He's a con man who's also an obsessive compulsive, mm-hmm. um, and he finds out that he has a daughter. And, um, Played by Sam Rockwell. Uh, yes. Uh, no, it was uh, Alison Lohman, I think, yep. uh, who's great in the movie and great in other movies. I actually really like her. Um, anyway, uh, and then he, his way of like reconnecting with his daughter is to turn her into a criminal like him. And so he's obviously a pretty messed up guy, and the movie is definitely dealing with this, like, you know, him sort of coming to terms with what he's done to this teenage girl like you know it's it's kind of unconscionable like he's taken he's taken someone and like i guess corrupted her or poisoned her soul i guess um and then yeah here comes a spoiler uh it turns out she's not his daughter she's not even a teenager she and sam rockwell are con artists who that's right were pulling a trick on Nicolas cage the whole time mm. and i hated it so much <laughs> i hated that and i was so angry I, well, I, I thought, I'm clearly, I thought it's been hated, almost 10 years and I'm still very angry about I the thought what you hated because 
he winds up actually being kind of okay that they've taken him for all his money and he like a lot of his nervous tics and stuff go away and then he winds up just being like a carpet salesman or something he gives up the life of the con artist i remember you being upset that like there were no like consequences well yeah that goes back to the like i felt like and maybe i was just projecting this onto the movie but i felt like it really was um exploring the damage to his soul that you know, not only being a criminal himself, but doing this to his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's almost as if there was a, a writer who wrote a very interest, you know, interesting script uh-huh. with that idea, and then some producer was like, "This needs to be more exciting." How about it was never his daughter all along? Right, and yeah. was like, "Well, that's not what the movie's about." And they're like, "No, we'll do that. We'll give you twenty million dollars." He's like, "All right." Yeah, yeah. That that honestly, that might have happened. Yeah, if you want to see a good con man movie, just see uh, House of Games. It's probably the best one, right? I'm not a big fan of House of Games. Mm, I think I like, you're wrong. I like the Spanish Prisoner. Spanish Prisoner is great. It's well, the best con movie. Con movie is probably a David Mamet movie, right? Uh, no, no question about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I would go with Spanish Games over or Spanish Games. I, 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 I watch Prisoners. I watch the matchup. <laughs> um, although I mean, we did an, uh, an episode of Criterion Cast about House of Games and uh, Homicide. Yeah. Uh, and I think in rewatching it for that. My opinion of House of Games went up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but still, yeah. I don't I think House it. of Games has a really good ending where it shows, like, oh, there are major stakes, uh, <laughs> more so than we thought. But um, Homicide, by the way. Homicide is amazing. It's, uh, it is yeah. an If you haven't movie. seen Homi- uh, David Mamet's Homicide, uh, seek it out. That's probably my favorite David, David Mamet movie. <laughs> Not my most watched. My most watched is Spartan. Homicide. I can watch that. That is one of those movies that I could put on any day at any time and sit down and watch it i don't know why but that movie it is really shockingly watchable <laughs> sometimes he uh sometimes mamet like will just throw in a little line that just bothers the hell out of me but even his bad lines are like bah, all right <laughs> you know, even heist heist is not that great of a movie but man no, but it's, it's fun it's really fun i have the dvd red belt that's another story yeah red so um okay so i i'm gonna start i'm gonna speed through some of these and Sorry, I will spend time. Real quick, okay. Before I want to say one more thing about Spartan. Okay. And also like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Not enough people use Val, Val Kilmer for comedy. Mm-hmm. I think that's a shame because I think he's very funny. He, he does have some good comedic sense to him for sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Real Genius is hilarious. Um, that's one of those movies I often like ragging people for being nostalgic for 80s movies, people our age. But uh, no, Real Genius you have the David Bax seal of approval for liking Real Genius because it holds up and it's really funny. Um, but Spartan is not a comedy, but it has the line, like, when he's, like, with the the, the president's daughter mm-hmm. and she's, like, sort of going off on her little tirade about the way she was raised and stuff, uh, you know, and he just says, I think we went to different schools. Yeah. Uh, he says it in a way that, is so funny to me and really cuts the tension of the moment because she's being like obviously she's been through a lot so you've got some sympathy towards her but she's also being just kind of like a snotty yeah. she tells this she tells the story of the that that the title comes from that like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know the king would send a single spartan and yeah. it's like it's like it's like you did you ever hear that story? He's like, no, I think we went to different schools. Because <laughs> yeah. she's because I love that the movie is like like she's the girl that he's rescuing, yeah. but like she's kind of an asshole. Yeah, and what's more is he's doing this like on his own uh, without giving a lot of spoilers. Like he does not have permission to rescue this girl, 
And then he's still kind of an asshole to her. Like he's doing <laughs> well, because this. she's a brat. I guess so. Yeah, and she's she, got to come. She, she she went through some harsh things in the last uh, several weeks. I think. Yeah. So I'll give I'll give her some some leeway. Um, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Did you never see, see Spartan? You should no. see it. I have it. You should borrow it. It's right over there. Oh, there it is. It's in between I've Spartacus seen, and Speed. I've seen surprisingly few Mammoth movies actually. Really? Yeah, I know. Check out Homicide. That's well, there are, there are lots that people like that I'm I'm not really a fan of. So, oh, know. okay. Like, um, would you hate? Would you say you hate any of? Them I don't think I, I hate any of them. Okay. No, I'm close to hating Red Belt. I really don't like that movie. I haven't seen that. But one. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna I'm going to speed through some of these, and then I will spend more time on others a little bit later. Oh, we okay. don't have that much time left. Right. Okay. We should probably. Speed through. Uh, Lady in the Water. Uh, it's a mostly forgettable movie that just creates its rules as it goes. And then, yes, I do hate the way it treats the critic. Uh, Played by uh, Bob Balaban. Just I like I, I find that movie not good, but like it's so stupid, like it's so silly. It's so silly, but it I, treats itself. It everything. It treats itself so seriously. Yeah, I don't mean it's yeah. intentionally silly. I think it is. I guess maybe this would put it in like the so bad it's good category because I could watch mm-hmm. it again. Absolutely. Oh man, I I, I, I cannot. I I've seen so half of it. <laughs> Actually, that was one that I, something happened. I got distracted and it was like I'm fine if I never see the rest of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just because in the way that it just makes things up as it goes along, it's uh, uh, it's funny to me. I tend not to I tend not to like it because that that sort of thing. Um, it's sort of it's no, again, one of I'm the not defending things, the movie. It's not good. It's one of the things that you that neither of us like about uh, Inception is that they will regularly stop to explain why I know we're all in a dream and we're an hour and a half into this movie. But Ellen Page doesn't understand what's going on. Right. Let's all explain it to her and, and the we, audience. We need to explain why this is very dangerous. I know we're all asleep, but but right. it's more than a dream. Do we got it? Back to the action, you know, and so and but the fact that um, they just keep adding things, it, yeah. it felt like that to me. I'd say this though, I would watch Lady in the Water again before I'd watch The Village again any day. The Village was a drag for me. See, and there are parts of The Village that I like. I don't, I yeah. don't think I like it as much as I used to. But uh, I haven't, I haven't returned to it. But uh, but I, I don't know. There were there were parts that were intriguing at least to me. There's this part in Lady in the Water, and it's it's it has to do with the critic, but it's such a like you can just tell like that just the sa- you can smell the sour grapes coming mm-hmm. off the screen, uh, where Bob Alvan plays a, just an all-purpose critic. I think he's like a book critic and a film critic, uh, and a food critic, and just he's just not critical of his friends. <laughs> he's just kind of a jerk, but um, and so because these characters recognize that they're sort of living out a modern fairy tale, they turn to him and say, hey, if this happened in a movie or something like that, what would you say these people should do? And he gives them advice, and then that advice turns out not to work. And then by themselves, they're like, they're like he said it would work. And then one character's like, who would be so arrogant to think that he knows? It's like, assholes. <laughs> you asked him. You framed it in, in terms of a fictional uh-huh. story. You should have said, we're living this out and there are life and death stakes. Think more about what you have to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just, like, they, they, oh. And then the film has the audacity to condemn him and revel in his death. That bothers me so much. Okay, so there's that. Uh, Pearl Harbor, I hate Pearl Harbor. Oh, yeah, that's because of Because it, the way it glorifies yeah. violence. I, I've, I've said it before that, like, the, you can sum up 
Pearl Harbor in one shot, and it's a shot that is put out there like in the trailer as like, yeah. look how awesome Pearl this movie is, and it's the bomb, the first, not the first bomb, but one of the bombs dropping from the plane onto the ship, and uh, and the camera follows the bomb down. It's like, wow, this movie is so in favor of the idea of movie violence, bombs point of view, like uh-huh. it's like <laughs> victims faceless, who gives a shit. Yeah, bomb though. We'll see. We'll see its whole life. I, really I think if I think if Michael Bay could get away um, with having a movie that doesn't have any human characters in it, he would do it. Oh, absolutely. I think he is the like most anti-humanistic director working today. I think it'd be fantastic if like, or not fantastic, fascinating if like fifty years from now there were a Michael Bay type filmmaker who were to make a movie like that about 9-11 and just like <laughs> wow big action stuff blowing up crashing yeah. like yeah. It, it's kind of the if you think of it it's a similar thing like Pearl oh, yeah. Harbor wasn't like a big exciting event it was right. terrible yes. yeah so and it, and yes there could be heroism within it just there yeah. could be heroism within uh, 9-11 but yeah that it's very similar so it's very did, similar to that did anyone see World Trade Center I didn't see it I did not I did not okay I heard uh, some people love it some people said I think Jen Sodden said it was pretty hokey so, but not exploitative, and that's and there's a difference. Yeah. Um, okay. Real quick, I'll bring up. Now this is this is a little different. Okay, date movie, and all the I, that's the only one I've seen. I didn't see Epic Movie. I didn't see Meet the Spartans or whatever those. Uh, there, there are which ones? I've seen Date Movie and Meet the Spartans. Okay, I think that's it. I saw a Date Movie uh, to prepare for episode number two or three of Battleship uh-huh. Pretension when we were talking about comedy. Um, yeah. Oh man, that takes me back. Ten dollars, and you can hear it. <laughs> so don't don't do that. So, uh, <laughs> but it, that that's something where it's just it's a movie that mostly is is forgettable. But everything about it, it it's it, it's this, like the studio cynicism behind it of like, oh yeah, we don't need to make an effort with this. Mm-hmm. We just need to make need to make references, and that will be enough. There is okay. I don't. Rem- I, I I seem to recall this as a date movie. I'm not totally sure. Uh, it's just a visual gag. I put quotes around gag. Well, maybe I'm looking at it from a different point of view. Take those quotes <laughs> off. So um, there's a Napoleon Dynamite type character. Is this is this date movie? Yeah, I think. Okay, so. and he has a shirt. Now you may recall in Napoleon Dynamite, he has a shirt that says "Vote for Pedro." Now in date movie, he has a shirt that says "Don't vote for Pedro." Oh man. <laughs> Clever, isn't that clever? Isn't that hilarious? Uh, I never would have thought of that. Well, see, unless I was a six-year-old. That's not a spoof. That's called satire. Exactly. <laughs> it's not unlike that Simpsons where where they show uh, inside the offices of Mad Magazine and all these writers are sitting around a table. It's like, hey, hey, what about this? Everybody hates Raymond, and, and they all just laugh and they're like, "Ah, oh, well, we've been sitting here for hours, but it was worth it." <laughs> and then, of course, uh, I think they. I think they blow up uh, the mad building and it's like, is everyone all right? And one guy's like, I actually feel better. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. But yeah, just the, just like, just the calculation and just the laziness of date movie. Like there are, Mm -hmm. there are comedies out there that aren't funny, but you can tell that they're trying and just like, okay. And there are, and there are like low budget kind of uh, cookie cutter movies that are, that are better too. Like I, I think a lot of asylum films are better than something like that because now explain what Asylum films are. For those who don't know, there is a movie studio of sorts called Asylum that they put out a lot of uh, 
they're kind of famous for doing creature feature type stuff. Things like Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, or uh, there's a lot of one big myth- mythical made up creature versus another one. Mm-hmm. But uh, and and they do a lot of ones that are just kind of copies of of other films that are out. So if you're if Transformers is out, then you'll see Transmorphers in the video stores. But there's there's almost an attitude with them that they they know it's a little bit silly. Like with Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, for example. Like you can't write that movie and not say to yourself, "This is ridiculous." And I, I think. The filmmakers know that a little bit, so they're winking at you a little bit, and it's just the sheer joy of making making fun of it while you watch it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like uh, a lot of those movies, so, sometimes by virtue of being comedies, it's harder to make fun of it because it's trying to be funny in the first place. So then, if you're watching someone make bad jokes, is is just too unpleasant to even make jokes about, really. Yeah, the um, the, the, the worst thing about those movies. And I mean, there's a lot of bad things. One of the things I really hate is that they don't even like stick to their concept. Like, Meet the Spartans is supposed to be the like 300 spoof, yes. mm-hmm. but it has like all this March of the Penguins stuff because March of the Penguins had come out two years <laughs> earlier than 300. By the way, yeah, you just take whatever's popular at the time, put it in a blender, <laughs> yes, and, yeah, and and, and exactly pour it into some bad joke molds. Yeah, those those movies really do astound me because they just they make money they don't they they clearly don't cost a lot of money to make they're mm-hmm. just a quick money maker and it's and it's just so I don't even consider those movies they just are just studio calculations just a moving numbers around and that's basically it like they're just <laughs> it's money it's ball. sad it's sad when I mean when they have actual like funny people cast oh, yeah. in them like yeah Diedrich Bader was Kevin, in Kevin McDonald yeah. has been in at least one of them yeah yeah it's unfortunate mm-hmm. um so i've got a couple more that i won't uh i'll hold off because i've been talking too long yeah, no, I'll, let's, I'll let's to actually guys. have an eye towards wrapping up and let's i'm i'm done okay what do you guys have to talk about i, I have one last one that i definitely want to talk about um which is the other best picture one that i was mentioning which is the english patient oh okay. i uh, would have i thought it was going to be crash I'm not a fan of Crash, but I don't know if I'd even say I hate that movie. I feel like there's a lot of it that I think is poorly done, and I don't I don't like its attitude. But I still think there are some very effective sequences, at least in Crash. And um, so I don't know if I I condemn it as as a movie that I would hate. But I I, I watched The Inquisition again recently. Um, so that I could specifically write about it, and I I hate that movie. Yeah. Um. It's. It fa- it fails on almost every level f- level for me. The characters are not engaging, and the attempts to try and make the characters engaging are obvious and ineffective. Um, there are so many plot holes that the film doesn't even try to make sense of. Like a, a lot of the the whole setup of like why is she staying at the at the place she's staying at this house with this old man or not old man this injured English prisoner not prisoner. <laughs> Patient. patient. <laughs> um, no, it's Spanish prisoner. Yeah. English patient. But they're in they're in Italy at the time, so they're they're in an enemy country, and she's a nurse who decides that she's going to leave the the group that she's with, like the group the the army that she's with, to stay in this house and watch this guy for some reason. And maybe it's supposed to be because it's a romantic, but it's not romantic, and I don't buy it, and I don't like their connection. Then when it goes back into his story of the the girl that he was in love with, I don't like their relationship at all. It's perfunctory. It's it, why are they in love? 
um, the the husband that she's cheating on, who it's Colin Firth, right? Unless Is I'm, it? I haven't seen it. I don't either, remember. I, I believe it's Colin Firth, unless I'm misremembering somehow, but. Uh, I feel like they make him out to be a total ass for no reason, and so she just she just cheats on him, and I feel sorry for him because both her and the film have just treated him so poorly <laughs> as a character. And yeah, there's more characters in this than I, I haven't seen it in so long. Yeah, like you haven't even gotten to Willem Dafoe; he's in there, right? Thumbless, oh yeah, Thumbless Willem Dafoe, right? And yes, also and, Naveen Andrews. Yeah, Said. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Said. Who 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 plays sort of the uh, noble savage thing, which is another thing that I hate in movies. When you were talking about aspects that you hate, the noble savage thing is the thing that I hate because mm-hmm. people think that they're being open minded and what they're really being is condescending. Right. Um, I crossed out Avatar, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, it, it does that. And then it, the the Willem Dafoe character is—I don't even know why he's in there. It, it, it has so many of those things that. You're watching the movie. You think to yourself, "This movie needed a way to move forwards," and so it wrote a character and said, "Now this character comes in and says A, B, and C, and now the movie can go to the next step." Um, it's written not organically at all, but for the sake of making the movie continue in the way that they they want it to continue. Now, do you think that uh, David and I were recently on Eleven Points Countdown, which you can uh, find at Eleven Points Countdown dot com, I believe, um, or maybe just Eleven Points dot com? It's just Eleven Points. Eleven Points. Yes. The number one one points dot com. Yes. Uh, and we talked about the least deserving best pictures and stuff. And so, when talking about something like The English Patient. It's, it's a movie you hate. Would you hate it as much if it did not win Best Picture? I, I might have not hated it as much. Um, I think that's what brought my attention to it more because Fargo was a movie that I loved anyway, which came out that same year and was nominated for Best Picture. But The English Patient is the film that won. Now, uh, in rewatching it, I was trying to go into that with that mindset, thinking like, well, I can't just hate this movie because it beat out Fargo at the at the Academy Awards. That's not a, uh, That could give me contentious feelings towards it but that's not that doesn't make it a terrible movie that doesn't make it hate worthy um but in rewatching it I, I to me it does everything wrong so i i i'll take that back some of the cinematography is good mm. um some of the technical aspects in that way are good but as far as story and as far as characters um it, it's I, I can't i can't stand it has hmm. Uh, we, we, we've talked about doing an episode of like directors who are one hit wonders I mean Townsend Mr. Ripley Amazing. is so good yeah I love and it. yet but I thought you some... I thought you liked Cold Mountain I don't I guess no I wouldn't say it's a good movie but I do I, it does have I like uh, I feel like I've talked about this before but I like Cold Mountain in much the same way that I like Doc, uh, uh, Dr. Zhivago okay mm-hmm. in that because they're both hokey and sort of just overblown uh but there's a sort of dramatic what's that melodramatic yes but there's a sort of i guess just uh grand cinematic beauty to them and sort of it almost they almost feel like this old-fashioned like this throwback to uh things like uh duel in the sun is another movie that i know is doesn't have a good reputation and isn't that good but i just i i happen to see it at the music box theater in Chicago and just like, it was so fun for me uh, because it's just this big I feel old that fashioned way, cinema thing. I feel that way about Giant, which is a movie I think is mm. fine. Yeah. But, it, and, but there's so much majesty to it and it's so yeah. big and, and, you know, 
just just broad and and there are a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to love about that movie except the film itself um but, <laughs> but uh, then when there are, are films that kind of have that sort of majesty but earn it maybe like okay. I, when i when i think of giant for some reason that makes me think of days of heaven um maybe because it feels like it has a similar setting and i think there's that iconic thing of the house out sort of by itself in right, the in right. the fields um, well, also i mean i mentioned dr Zhivago, but you've also got lawrence of arabia the yeah. greatest the greatest cinematic epic yeah. ever made right and so i think i think films can earn that certainly mm-hmm. um so okay i got two movies i want to talk about all right and then real we're, quick then we're done then i get to go home okay uh <laughs> we you know what you can just go now if you want i mean we we co-host another show like we've got chemistry it's fine <laughs> um so uh okay one is something that all three of us can probably weigh in on um and i've gone from not liking this movie and there this is a movie there are elements i like and in, in fact elements i really like but not unlike pearl harbor which treats violence a certain way the way shame treats nudity and sex is i don't think it's necessarily i'm not sure if i'd say it's it's exploitative but it's one of those things where it's like you have actors willing to bear themselves that's not a small thing you yeah. know like i don't necess- i don't have a problem with with nudity or sex in film but like these people are putting themselves out there in every way mm-hmm. so that you can hopefully explore something and then you don't it winds up being a surprise for a, a film that not many films deal with like the idea of sex addiction autofocus does um and so that's kind of a novel idea and one maybe worth exploring. I mean, if you all you got to do is look up uh, like user comments on IMDb about shame and you'll just and you'll see that there are people that do not take sex addiction addiction seriously. They'll just say something like, hey, it's just called being a man. It's like, why don't you go slap yourself in the face? All right. <laughs> that's awful. And so um, so I think there's a there is a movie out there that can and maybe even should be made about sex addiction. And I thought and hoped shame would be it. And when, when I heard it was NC 17, I was like, that's probably what it should be. Mm -hmm. NC 17 with that level of exposure. And I remember being this, this oddly enough, this surprises people when I say this, uh, when I knew that the film was not as committed as it should have been is when we see, pretty graphic depictions of him having sex with women mm-hmm. then he goes into a gay bar mm-hmm. and and or not not even necessarily a gay bar but like a gay sex club of sorts yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it seems and, to be uh, more seedy and he goes into and and he ducks into like this booth or something with with this guy and the guy starts uh filleting him and now i know there are some people like why is this such a you know why is this such a terrible thing it's like well it's a terrible thing for the character that because he probably hasn't done this before, but he's so eager to do to uh, I got deal the impression with this. he had. I feel like he hasn't. Like it just when you see the expression on his face, I get the impression of like this is a new one. Huh. But but you I, know what? I, it doesn't matter because we don't see that. Yeah. We see his face, and one could say, well, it's at a pivotal point in the film, and so what his expression. It's like okay, that's fine. We can cut to his face, but like you're going to show everything else, but you're not going to show this. Be- possibly because it is gay it's like if you're going to explore this explore it actually do this mm-hmm. like you have you have not not merely the two lead actors but you have a number of other actors and actresses that are willing to to expose themselves yeah yeah and this is the film you came up with like yeah. it it feels like 
man, that it's not the time to get sheepish. And I, yeah. But that's the thing is, it's not a film about sex edition. It's a film about composition. That's, that's yeah. That's all that shame kind of has going for it. Kind of yeah, the, yeah. The, the mise en scene and, and, and yeah. whatnot. It, because it, it, it's so concerned about that that it becomes so glossy, which then takes away from the fact that it's supposed to seem so seedy. Like we're supposed to be seeing that he's in these this dark addiction. He's in this terrible place, but it all looks so pretty. Yeah, and all the yeah. people are so beautiful that it doesn't it, it doesn't really deliver that. Yeah. You had one more. Yes, uh, and I, I'll try not to go into too much detail about it. Um, bowling for Columbine and others. Um, I, I had down Fahrenheit 9-11. Okay. Uh, and here's the thing. I know that listeners probably think that it's, it's a political thing with me. It isn't. Um, it might be a little bit, but I turned on Michael Moore right around Bowling for Columbine, and that was before I really cared about I, I knew a little bit about politics. I had opinions about whatever, but I didn't know anything. But it bothered me as a documentary. And it's just one of those things where, like, I understand that when you make a documentary, you're going to make choices because it's not going to be just raw footage. Mm-hmm. You're going to make choices. Where you make a cut, you immediately are cutting from actual reality. You're cutting from one thing to another. And when you do that, this is not the purest type of documentary there is. I've not seen anything by Frederick Wiseman, but it sounds to me like he's as close as you get. Yeah. Um, so it's like, so I understand that's going to happen. Uh, the key is how many of those breaks with reality are you comfortable with making? Are you going to try and make it as close as possible? Or are you going to edit in such a way as to deliberately use filmmaking tricks to make a point or something like that. Uh, Bowling for Columbine does it a fair amount. Fahrenheit 9-11 does it a lot. I like Sicko, uh, but even that even that does it. Little things like, you know, the, the countries that he chooses to, like, oh, the healthcare in America as opposed to the healthcare in Cuba. It's like, well, you, these people got free healthcare in Cuba. And it's like, oh, okay. And then as it scrolls down the list of, like, here's, here's the ranking of countries uh, by you know their healthcare system, and it shows like I don't remember the exact ring, but it's like United States thirty seven, and it's like wow, that's quite a point you're making. Hey, what's that at thirty nine? It's Cuba. <laughs> and it's like, are you fucking kidding? How about this? The minute you see that, stop using Cuba. Yeah, like it, it just it is stuff like that astounds me, and like the fact that he ignores that so that he continue making his point. Like I I, I remember I was talking with my. Uh, with a friend of mine on the third episode of uh, More Than One Lesson, which we were talking about religious, which is, I feel like there just needs to be, I feel like there just needs to be a new category, like editorial film or something like that. Mm-hmm. You you call it that, and I don't have a problem with it. I, I, I maybe have a problem yeah. with some of the things that he's saying, but at least then it's obvious what it is you're doing. Yeah. You know, if you... If you take in a newspaper, if you take an editorial and you put it on the front page as it as if it were news, people will find will be frustrated by that. That's why there's an editorial section. Mm-hmm. And so like and the fact I don't know, it's just he yeah. as a filmmaker, he bothers me so much. And just and the fact the way that he tries to like bob and weave in interviews where he'll say like like people talk to him about his inaccuracy and when he says and then he'll respond by saying, Well, I'm making a comedy. And how can there be an accuracy in comedy? Yeah. That's something that he said before. It's like, oh, okay. So it's just a comedy. So I guess we shouldn't take anything in it seriously. Well, hang on now. I'm asking serious questions. Oh, okay. 
but the, but you're approaching them inaccurately. Well, I'm making a comedy. Like he just he wants to it's, have it both ways. It's serious questions that you're not supposed to take seriously. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. The, the what bothers me about it is there is the I think the morality of him as a filmmaker because he knows that he's he, he some of these things he has to know that he's presenting something right. that he knows is the opposite of the truth. And so some of his political opinions that's not what I have the issue with so much. While I might disagree with him, but for something like that where he he has to have at some point looked at that list of rankings. And and seen that Cuba's below the United States, or the the one that bothers me the most, and is the reason that I put Fahrenheit 9/11 on uh, on my list, is there's a scene from Fahrenheit 9/11 where Michael Moore goes out to to Washington and he's interviewing congressmen who are he who he catches on the street. I don't know if they're coming out of the Capitol or what. But uh, he's asking them, would you send your son or daughter to war? Would you would you make your son or daughter go to war? And all these people either brush him off, and then he ends with this one guy who, when asked the question, just gives him this sidelong glance, like, what are you talking about? And they cut off there. And and the point the film is trying to make with that cut is that this man, he, he wouldn't even, he was shocked that anyone would even ask him that question. Mm-hmm. The truth is that at the end of that clip, that man said, my son is in, in Afghanistan mm-hmm. or wherever it was. So... Michael Moore had to take that clip and say, now this clip in reality says one thing. I need to cut it so that it says the exact opposite. Yeah. And no matter what side of the aisle you're on, that sort of thing I'm, I'm not okay with. Yeah. yeah. And, that's, and that's the thing is people, and myself included, say like, I mean, he's a good filmmaker. He makes effective films, certainly, yeah. Like if you, here's the thing. Okay, Josh, you and I were talking about this recently. Um, there have been a lot of like conservative, like straight to DVD documentaries made in response to michael moore i've seen one or two of them they all suck they're terrible you know and so it's just like there was one in uh theaters recently the uh 2016 it was called yeah and that didn't get good reviews either right i don't know but that's i didn't see it but yeah and i didn't see that but i did see these other ones and so it's just like so there is something and so these are these other films are films with a point of view but a point of view is not enough michael moore is a good filmmaker I actually kind of like Canadian bacon myself. Uh, I think <laughs> I it has its movie. moments. Yeah. And so, um, so I can't argue that, but when you think of like, so to a certain extent, these are good movies, but I hate them because they are, they are really doing disservice to, to what a documentary is. There, there's a documentary out there, by the way, called Michael Moore hates America. Do not let the title throw you. Uh, it's meant to be inflammatory. It is f- fascinating. There's parts of it that I don't like, but there are other parts that are just where the director himself does not like Michael Moore. I think his name is Michael Wilson or something like that. And uh, he doesn't care for what Michael Moore does and all that. But there are scenes in which, and he leaves them in, where he and his producer are getting in a bit of a fight because Michael Wilson has chosen not to give his interview subject all the information. And the producer's like, what are you doing? This is the exact thing that you don't like Michael Moore for doing. Hmm. And so good for Michael, Mike Wilson leaving it in, mm-hmm. you know, and th- but there's a scene where he's talking with uh, Albert uh, Mazels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it was a really interesting thing because he, he was interviewing him, uh, but he wasn't telling him the title of the film. And then the producer said, you need to tell him the title of the movie. And he's like, all right, okay. It's called Michael Moore Hates America. And then Albert Mays is like, thanks for me. He's like, 
I think he does. <laughs> and, like, and if he does, then there's your title. And it's just, and it was, it's, it's an amusing uh, scene, but there's, there's some good interviews in there. There's one with Pendulette that's great and says a lot of what I, what I just said that the I idea like of Pendulette. He yeah. is, that guy is uh, my kind of blowhard. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, okay, uh, there's so many things that I say a lot. I have, like Aaron Sorkin, I have certain <laughs> sort of topics that I like to revisit in the same way, so I often forget if I've said it on the podcast or not. But uh, Pendulette is a blowhard, and Bill Maher is a blowhard. But Pendulette is my kind of blowhard. Oh, yeah. Because even when Pendulette is railing against something, talking about something he disagrees with, his basis his the, the thing he's always driving toward is a love for humanity yes he's he's always fueled by positivity and uh i i, I find that even when i disagree with him on something i find yeah. it so much it's more refreshing listening. yeah and he's in all directions like he'll go against i mean you watch that show bullshit i mean there's an episode about the bible there's uh-huh. an episode about global warming uh-huh. and it's just yeah. like oh geez <laughs> Well, he's just going to make everyone mad now. Um, yeah. But it's, but yeah, and so yeah, like, there's like there's one about recycling. Yeah, like is was kind of I don't know. Obviously, it's a one sided story. Right. But I do like that in the recycling one, they go ahead and say like we were skeptical, but recycling aluminum cans is something you should do. Yes, like they actually huh. say like yeah, yeah, this works and this is good for the environment. Is bullshit recycling. still on Netflix? I remember it was on Netflix. Netflix watch incident for a long time. It's worth watching, by the way, everybody. Uh, give give it a watch when you can. But it's uh, but yeah, and so like Michael Moore hates America is a very is a very uh, interesting movie when you can when you you know pair it with with the films of of michael moore uh but it's that idea of just like when albert mazels is saying not merely that you hate america like that's that's a large like there's a longer interview in there in which he talks about what a documentary should be and he does not describe he's not describing the films of michael moore and when you see like salesman or what is it gray gardens Mm -hmm. um or the beals of gray gardens yes thank you um like when like one of the best documentarians of all time is describing what it should be and you are so far from that but you mm-hmm. still want to you still want to borrow the credibility right, of right, that right. of that you're saying. of that title like i think i've gotten used to just expanding the definition of the term documentary for me personally. I, I think at this point people know enough yeah to to expect bias and and some mm-hmm. fan, fancy editing and stuff mm-hmm. um i i don't like michael moore there's plenty of reasons but mostly for the way he treated Charlton Heston, which is oh. kind of disgusting to watch. Yeah. It's disgusting to watch, and it's also... Okay, real quick, sorry. Uh, I was thinking of making this point uh, with the film, and now you've given me the opportunity. Um, it's such an interesting... Because in Bowling for Columbine, his, he just says, I'm asking questions. That's his whole thing. I'm asking questions. Why does this happen? He says, there's as many guns in Canada as there are in the U.S., but there's a lot more gun deaths. Mm-hmm. Why is that? That's a good question to ask. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't come up with any answers, but he's pretty sure the NRA, which to my not, which I may not like everything the NRA does or says, but yeah, they're a little bit extreme for me and I'm uh, right. I'm pro gun. But their whole th- but you know, the whole thing about NRA is like legal responsible gun ownership. Well, it would appear that Canada has legal responsible gun o- ownership if there's the same number of guns, then clearly there's something else. And so maybe the organization that's saying that you should be that guns are okay uh, just in and of themselves, maybe that's not who you should land on 
as like, well, I don't have any answers, but I'm pretty sure these guys over here <laughs> are kind of responsible, you know? And so, and then of course, yeah, the way he treats and, and maybe he does it because Charlton Heston is, su- is such a public figure and because he's older it gives you that opportunity to that, kind of rail against that, like the that's old the, guard. That's the worst part like of it is that he's taking advantage of his age. Yeah. That that was what bothers and, me the most. All right, two points. One, you're going to make me get political again. But Sorry. the problem is with the gun thing with Michael Moore is that, and I guess this is often the problem with two opposing sides, is that Michael Moore is not even trying to see things from the other point of view. It's, it's like... Um, after the shooting in Aurora, mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of stories about how gun purchases in Colorado shot up yes. right afterward. And among a lot of my friends, there was a lot of, can you believe that? Just like tisk tisking, you know? Yeah. And it's like, stop and think for a second. There's a logic to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can, you can make a case for why, if that had happened in your neighborhood, you might want to go and get yourself a gun. Yeah, it would be a different... Even the playing field. Well, it would be a different thing, too, if it were, like, a big story had gone off that someone accidentally was killed by their own gun, and then guns (laughs) sales went up. Yeah. But but when a crazy person goes and shoots a bunch of people, then uh, it makes... That's a different motivation. So the thing that Michael Moore points to with Charlton Heston uh, and with the NRA is that they're sort of... The way that the NRA will uh, almost immediately after something, something like a Columbine go and make a pro-gun Which statement. they actually didn't. It was, it was about nine months later, and it was for a pro-voting rally. That's not <laughs> right, the end of there. Go ahead. But there will be a response that is pro-gun. The fact that he doesn't even like consider that there's anything behind that other than evil right. is really... Uh, irresponsible journalism, I guess. But he's not a journalist. Mm. Right. And uh, so the other thing is, okay. in general, among liberals, and I know a lot of our listeners are, are liberals. Um, we know from that survey. That's right. Um, later Tell in your life, female friends, by the way, to start listening to the show. <laughs> yeah, we need a little more, a few more females. Um, but later in his life, when he was involved with the NRA, there was a lot of liberal sort of laughing at or dismissing of Charlton Heston, uh, even among people we went to film school with mm-hmm. and this has always bothered me because um however you feel about uh, charlton heston's politics he was uh a treasure to american cinema and he and he and he loved film and he this this is the story i always go to 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 remind people of this um he was in a movie um a not entirely great movie but a movie called major dundee directed by Sam Peckinpah, and when the producers wanted to fire Sam Peckinpah, Charlton Heston said, look, I don't know where he's going with this. I think he's a little weird, too, but this is his vision, and if you get rid of him, I'm walking, too. And Sam Peckinpah stayed on the movie because of that. That is so awesome. The yeah. reason, we, you mentioned Touch of Evil earlier, the reason that Touch of Evil is an Orson Welles film and not merely he's the co-star mm-hmm. is because of Charlton Heston. Mm. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting all worked up. I know. I can tell. <laughs> I, 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 Watch the mumbling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I just... Uh, you can disagree with someone's stance on a thing and not discount their entire career and contributions to the yeah, art form absolutely. that you love. It doesn't mean somebody's bad at what they do just because they disagree with them. I don't have <laughs> right. like a plumber coming in my door and I'm like, now what are your politics before you get working on my pipes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, All right, so let's yeah, wrap up. I, I know you had some thing you wanted to talk about. Uh, a couple of things. I already mentioned uh, the 11 points countdown, which yeah, there can... is there's a post 
there's a blog post that at this point is probably a little buried, but you can go to 11points.com and you can find yeah. it. Which you, you added a comment to the blog post. Yes, in reference to uh, some Facebook stuff. Oh, okay. Never mind then. That yeah, in response to some say. Facebook stuff, yeah. Because I thought you were doing it apropos of nothing. Oh, no, it was Tyler there. clarified in the comments to the post that um, he and I d- did not come up with the list of the right. worst best picture winners. Right. And I thought that was just more of your sort of, I guess, preemptive... Uh, no, not at all. I was super proud of, of us on that show. Uh-huh. I thought we came off really uh, delightful and fun, and I think you get a good flavor of what this show is, and so I was very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And Sam- then, sure enough, on Facebook, someone really took issue with some of the stuff. Not merely what we said, but also he just talked about like how... Like how... Uh, not necessarily biased, but how heavy it was on like more recent movies. And yeah. they're like, why are we talking about how green was my Valley when neither of us have ever seen it? Like, why would that be on the list? Like, well, we didn't make the list. Yeah. And so, yes, I, uh, and I think uh, Sam makes that pretty clear in the episode. I think so. Too. But uh, yeah, we do want to thank Sam. It was so much fun. We hope, uh, that, uh, we get invited back. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Josh, you had something to say? I was going to say it was actually me who made that comment just because you didn't <laughs> oh. mention Tom Jones. That was the <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so that was the first thing. Second thing, um, Entrance is now available on DVD. Yeah. So you can go to Amazon.com or you can go to the Battleship Pretension DVD store and you can order it through there. So, uh, and yes, there's a, there's a commentary by David and myself on it. Yes, there's a critic's commentary yeah. by Battleship Pretension. That's right. But... You don't have to listen to it. It's a great movie. You could just buy it and watch that. Absolutely. I can back that up. It's a fantastic movie. I can't speak for the commentary. It's a, you know what? Uh, ebbs and flows. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and so the, the last thing, um, real quick. Uh, so, Josh. Yes, Tyler. Big things happening big in your things. life. One thing. One it's thing. A web one series. Big what thing. is it? There's a web series called The Unemployed Mind, which uh, the website is up right now at theunemployedmind.com. Um, the episodes begin airing a week from oh, well, this coming Tuesday, which is the 18th. So I'll just say they start on the 25th. That's an okay. easier way to say there that. There you go. <laughs> uh, so September 25th, you can tune into The Unemployed Mind, and you will find a brand spanking new episode, uh, the very first one indeed, of, uh, of The Unemployed Mind, a comedy web series about two unemployed bachelors trying to find work. And if you stick with the series, you will uh, meet, you'll, you'll find some uh, BP regulars who make uh, guest star appearances on there. Such, again, as, such as? Again, not me. <laughs> who, who, yeah, who are the regulars? We've got, uh, we've got some Paul Goebel in there. We've sure. got some Pat Healy, some right. Matt Champagne, and a little Josh Fadum. All right. So. If anybody's feeling better, David, I am also not in it. I don't get this. He asked either. specifically, and I said no. Yeah, I, I pulled out the, the plaque that no. says Best Actor, Year 2000. It's nothing, nothing to this guy. You'd think have, that have, plaque have, would get dusty. Tyler, nope. let, let, me ask you, let me ask you something. <laughs> okay. Your friends who make movies, your Josh's and your Jason. You can stuff. probably throw quotes around friends, but yeah. <laughs> your friends who make movies. And maybe have, movies. Yeah. <laughs> have they, have you not shown them the film you made in film school? Which one? Wherein I get so angry that I can't open a Sprite bottle that I destroy the entire apartment. No. Because I was great in that. You were was, good in that. I was great. You were good in, uh, you were good. Now, the one that is on, is there on my personal, um, my personal <laughs> YouTube page is called Surprise. Uh-huh, and it's me and Cole. It's you and Cole in which, uh, Essentially Cole, playing versions of ourselves. Very much so, yes. <laughs> in which Cole plays a, uh, a roommate who keeps, keeps surprising 
his uh, his roommate played by David, and this is based on a true story. Yeah, w- was I was I anything else of yours besides those those two? I I feel like you were. I'm trying I to think. Can't think of any off the top of my head. I've got three off the top of my head of mine that you were in. Okay, the one, um, uh, where you your character couldn't get up the guts to flirt with the girl who always. Like, you went to the park every day yes. for lunch, and there was another girl um, who always uh, went there for lunch. Um, and I was like, when I think about that, I think about, like, the fact that she was a lesbian in real life, and she was my friend. And, yeah. like, I was like, oh, he didn't have a chance. <laughs> but they're I'm not pretty playing. charming, David. They're not playing themselves. Um, there was that one. There was the one where you were the guy whose apparently sole purpose was to make mischief in another guy's life. Do you, do you remember that? Yes. Where, was that me doing that, or was I? No, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I was the mischief maker. You were sneaking around, like turning off the guy's hot water. That's I'm right. trying to remember what else you, you you like snuck up and tied his shoelaces. Or no, he tied your shoelaces. Yeah. Together. At the end, he decides to get one over on me. Yeah. It's, he, uh, here's I'll, 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 I'll spoil it. Yeah. Here's what happened. It was the whole movie, <laughs> just this series of Tyler like sneaking around and ruining our friend Mike, um, friend of the show, Mike Vanderweist's uh, day, just like by doing these little things, and. At the end, Mike realizes what he's doing, and his way of getting back to him is he ties his shoelace together, shoelaces together, and then Tyler tries to walk down the stairs, and he falls all the way down the stairs and splits his head open and bleeds to death at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. Laying in, in a pool of blood is, by the way, I ended a film like that, and you ended a film like that. Um, yeah, it's, um, as, as, by the way, as a punchline, no less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. There was also... You had a very small role in the one with our friend Tony where he uh, uh, it was just a guy who got locked out of his apartment and sort of went to seed in the hallway waiting for his roommate to come home. That's right. Like he yes. started going through his neighbor's mail and he ended up like getting drunk and taking pills and like looking at pornography and like That's all right. this stuff just from going through. And, and then you were the roommate who came home at the end. So you were very briefly mm. in that. And then, of course, there's the big one where that I my favorite film of mine that I made That's where right. you were the... Uh, uh, oh, I, I keep wanting to say vampire detective, but you weren't a vampire, right? No, I was a, I a detective for, who finds vampires. I was a, well, I wasn't even a detective. I, I worked for the government, but it had a noirish, yes. uh, um, yeah, and it was essentially some secret sort of branch of the FBI that deals with uh, uh, different monsters. Yeah. You were in the vampire division, and you were a crooked cop because yeah. the vam- <laughs> the vampires sort of a run like the mafia in this thing. And you were also working for the Vampire Syndicate. He was on the take. I I was on the take. And this was 03, 04. 04, I think. Mm, No, probably 03. Yeah, 03. Um, Like, I was was out in front of this vampire. You were way ahead of your time. (laughs) Yeah. So... um, Oh, and you were actually in my uh, my Michael Moore spoof playing yourself, sort of. (laughs) So... um, Oh, okay. And I... um, yeah, because there's a contentious contention between us about certain things, whether or not they were my idea or your idea. Oh, no, I don't recall. Because there was the, well, the introduction of your character. Oh, yeah. Where he's slashing someone's tires. Slashing someone's I could have sworn I gave you that idea. <laughs> um, okay. And then in my, in your interview with me, one of the things you do is, like, cut together a bunch of shit that I say, like, yeah. so that word to word, it's clearly a different, like, yeah. like so it's, and in one of the just brief seconds, I'm wearing an entirely different shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and I also feel like that was my idea. It, it could have been. I, I feel like the tires might have been my idea. I know that the butterfly knife 
was my idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, sorry for that trip down memory lane. Uh, there are, again, it was at the end of the show, and I know there are listeners who like that. I know. <laughs> I don't understand it. Uh, but, okay, yeah. And so, and we got uh, off track a little bit there. So, theunemployedmind.com, the, the website is available right now with a bunch of, uh, with a, a handful of, like, fun little uh, yeah, teaser videos. There's a little bit of content on there because uh, we raised money for the project using Kickstarter, and so as part of the promotional thing, we did some things that everybody could enjoy and mm-hmm. some some people suggested a few things for us to shoot and we did that and they're up there now for you to see okay along with a, a fun little teaser and so and then the 25th that's when the series begins the 25th the first episode will be up right so all right i think we're good sorry i'm still thinking about your michael moore uh, spoof thing and how much i love it okay i think that's on my uh and now that we've talked about it i think i can post it on uh, as a as a as an actual blog post on the on the website. Yeah, I won't give away the way that it ends, but it ties into the Charlton Heston scene. Yes, it does. Uh, in Bowling for Columbine, and it is it is so funny. <laughs> all right. Um, you can find uh, that, yeah, apparently you can find that and uh, all other sorts of stuff at battleshippretension.com. Um, you can email us, david at battleshippretension.com, tyler at battleshippretension.com. Follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Follow Tyler at More Lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. And you can find my other podcast previously on at previouslyonshow.com. I have yet to do the first episode in the new format, but our the last episode with Sean as co-host uh, as a regular co-host. Sean will be back from time to time as a guest. But the last episode with him as co-host is up now, and it's our uh, best of the, uh, I guess, 2011-2012 season. It's odd. Our, our shows took different trajectories. Mine was me by myself, uh-huh. and then I decided, you know what, I, I'm tired of doing this alone. Then you started with Sean, and then you decided, I don't need anybody. No, Sean decided he didn't want to do it anymore. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. All right, Josh, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at the Josh Long, and you can watch The Unemployed Mind at theunemployedmind.com, and you can read some little things that I've written at battleshippretension.com. Absolutely. And so, more than one lesson. Come on, man. you got to get better I, about I this. I haven't written anything for that for a long time. That's so. true. Yeah, I know. All right, I we'll, have the, we'll do this off air. <laughs> uh, thanks for being here, Josh. Thank you for having me. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.